how ought we live as followers of Jesus in a culture that is moving away from a biblical foundation for life? Caleb Kaltenbach says Jesus demonstrated what life looks like full of grace and truth. I think another way to say it is that there is a big difference between acceptance and approval. I think that we have to understand that, not just with the LGBT community, but we are moving into a culture where people go with whatever they want to do, and there are going to be new things that come out that just really uh, scare Christians, and we don't know how to handle it. And we think, okay, do I keep my relationship with this person? Do I not? Uh, And it's not just the LGBT issue. There are so many other issues that are going to come down the pipeline, and we have to understand that we are missionaries, and there is a difference between acceptance and approval, and there is a tension between grace and truth. This is Family Life Today. Our host is Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. If you've found that life is getting harder to navigate as a follower of Christ, we'll see if we can help with some directions today. Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. You know, years ago, there was a lot of controversy around... um, a children's book that had found its way into libraries. I think it was called Heather Has Two Mommies. And it was it was a children's book designed to provide a picture of normalization for a child who might be growing up in a in a household where there were two mommies or two daddies, trying to to present that as maybe a new normal. We've got somebody with us today for whom that was the normal, growing up in a home with Two mommies part of the time and with a bachelor dad the other part of the time. Yeah, and Caleb, I just want to say thanks for being on our broadcast and sharing your story. Caleb Kaltenbach joins us again on Family Life Today. Caleb, welcome back. It's great to be back. I love this show. He's written a book called Messy Grace, How How a Pastor with Gay Parents Learned to Love Others without sacrificing conviction. And the, I, the reason I just appreciate you being on the show and talking about this is I, I think there's a lot of a lot of people like me who may not have a lot of gay friends. Or if we do, we don't know it. And we need coaching. We need understanding. We need someone to take us near and uh, begin the journey for us. And I feel like your book did that for me. I, I really liked being able to to peer into your family where you were raised by two moms and your dad who later came out as a, a homosexual as well. And you were raised in the midst of no faith, no Christian worldview. And I think we're clueless. Really, the Christian community is not real wise about who our audience is and and where they are and where they aren't. No, absolutely. I think that we have come to a point in our nation where we have to realize that we are the away team. We are not the home team anymore. Mm. We realize that more than ever at our church. We firmly believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. We believe in God's sovereignty. We believe in all these things, but we're very intentional in being missionaries in our context, missionaries in Southern California, and understanding, as we talked about earlier, that not everybody is at the same point in this spiritual journey. We just surveyed our church three weeks ago and found out that 42% of our attendance on any given Sunday is unchurched, meaning that we're the first church they've been to or they haven't been since they were a kid because we're so intentional about going after the lost sheep that Jesus talks about in Luke 15, 1 through 7. But we do that 
without compromising the gospel Mm -hmm. and the message. Because we have to learn where we are and we have to understand, and I think specifically with this issue or any other issue that we're dealing with, that there's a huge tension between grace and truth. And I think another way to say it is that there is a big difference between acceptance and approval. I think that we have to understand that, not just with the LGBT community, but we are moving into a culture where people go with whatever they want to do, and there are going to be new things that come out that just really uh, scare Christians, and we don't know how to handle it, and we think, okay, do I keep my relationship with this person? Do I not? Uh, And it's not just the LGBT issue. There are so many other issues that are going to come down the pipeline, and we have to understand that we are missionaries, and there is a difference between acceptance and approval, and there is a tension between grace and truth. You've already shared with us that your impression of Christians growing up was that they were bigoted, hateful. When you were with your mom, Christians would would mock and would shout and would would be hateful toward your mom, less so with your dad because he wasn't out of the closet at this point. But your dominant thought was Christians are just not worth much. You wound up at a Bible study in, in high school, and you went into that Bible study with the intent of wanting to undermine everything that was being taught there. And over time, something shifted in your heart and your thinking. Yeah, because I saw that Jesus was not representative of how people on the street corners were acting. And I think today we would say Jesus is not representative of how some Christians act on Facebook, social media, or Twitter, Snapchat, Periscope, or whatever. That Jesus is not reflective of that. When I think about the people that were on the street corners, I think to myself, what about what Paul said in Romans 2.4 when he says, don't you know that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance? What about what Paul said in Romans twelve eighteen? Live at peace with everyone. That doesn't mean that we agree with everybody, but that means that we're not going to belittle people. What about what Jesus said in Matthew five forty three through forty eight? You know, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And by the way, if you only love those who love you, what reward are you going to get? And I look at the people on the street corners, and and really in my life too, for me, messy grace are ultra legalistic fundamentalist Christians. You know, that's my version of messy grace that I have to love and be mindful about. Am I exemplifying what Paul says in Romans 2 and 12? Am I exemplifying what Jesus says? If you only love those who love you, what reward will you get? I'm glad I had a man in my life who called me to love. He called me to truth, too, but he said the preeminence of love, it is the banner of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yes, we do stand for the truth. And I'll tell you why that was important in my life, Caleb, and you can comment on this, because you've undoubtedly run into quite a few guys like me. I think I, like a lot of other Christians, have a high need to be right. I don't think we have a high need to make sure we're loving. And that, for me, has, has helped me move from pressing the point of the gospel, which is the truth. It is right. But it's pressed me back to going, how do I show love to other people who are broken? We're all broken, not just them. I am too. And uh, I think for the most part, we in the Christian community really don't know how to love people who aren't like us and who don't love us and who don't think like us and believe like us. I think the reason is that it is much easier to make a point. It is much harder to love somebody. When you make a point, you can be right. We talked earlier about uh, the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8 and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who placed her before Jesus after humiliating her. They did not care about her life, restoring her reconciliation. 
they were willing for her to die for them to be right. In other words, they believed that their theological conviction was a catalyst to allow them to mistreat other people. And our theological convictions must never be catalysts to mistreat others. If anything, our theology Mm -hmm. should drive us to love people and treat them well. And I think about Jesus. And here's what Jesus did. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus called the disciples into a discipleship relationship before they even believed he was the Son of God. I'm willing to bet, I don't know, but I'm willing to bet that Matthew was not a good synagogue-going boy in Matthew 9, Mm -hmm. and yet Jesus still looked at him despite all that and said, hey, you're coming with me. Follow me. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. And so Jesus regularly spent time with people, and here's where I think he models the difference between acceptance and approval. Jesus loved people where they were. Jesus loved them for who they were, but Jesus was not content to leave them where they were. He said, God has something greater embedded in you that only his sovereignty can bring out. And so I think about that, and I think to myself, we need to do the same thing. We have to love people where they're at. That doesn't mean we approve of every life choice that somebody makes. Right. You um, began to get a picture of who the real Jesus was as you were going to this Bible study in high school, but it had to dawn on you pretty quickly that if this was true and if you were going to buy into this idea that the Jesus presented in the Bible is who he says he is, that he's God, that Christianity is true, that's going to put you at odds with your mom, with your dad, with your mom's partner. This is going to turn your whole world upside down. Absolutely. I spent so much time studying what the Bible had to say about marriage, relationships, gender, sexuality, intimacy, everything. And I came to this conclusion, the one that I still hold today, that God designed sexual intimacy for the expression in marriage between one man and one woman. I believe that today. And I believe anything outside of that is a sin that is between a man and a woman in marriage. That's what God designed intimacy for. Now, I also believe, to reinforce what I said earlier, that our biblical beliefs should not allow us to berate anyone. Our biblical beliefs should build us up to the point where we are willing to love people because the more Mm -hmm. that we love God, he gives us margin to love people who seem to be unlovable to us. And I think the real mark of Christian maturity is how well can you love those whom you disagree with, don't like, don't like you, are difficult, or are just plain different than you are. But I'm trying to imagine you coming to this conclusion, this understanding of what the Bible has to say about gender and marriage and sexuality, and going back to your mom and and having the conversation, or to your dad and saying, you know, I, I've come to believe something different. So imagine how a young teenager who is gay or same-sex attracted feels when they come out to their conservative Christian parents. I was a 16-year-old teenager coming out as a Christian to my three gay parents. And you would expect love and tolerance because that's what my mother and her partner and my dad in his own way always preached. But I got the opposite. They kicked me out. So what some uh, same-sex attracted teenagers or teenagers who say they're same-sex attracted have experienced from their parents being kicked out, I experienced it, but I was on the other side of the coin But when I stayed at friends' houses over the night and that kind of a thing, and I went back, eventually God kind of slowly built up that relationship. Again, I realized that the more I love God, the more margin he gave me 
to love people that were difficult in my life and that, to forgive. That love was tested because as you uh, attended the Bible study, you decided to go to church. You went to your dad's church, and that turned out to be a bit of a surprise to you as well. Yeah, I went to my dad's church, and, um, you know, I'd gone off and on, and they really didn't teach the Bible. Then I got invited by a friend of mine uh, who uh, was a Christian, and his dad was a pastor at a church. And so I got invited to go to his church, and so I went, and I found Jesus was preached and and talked about much differently. And I found a group of individuals who uh, firmly believed what Jesus said and what Scripture claimed, but also believed that that should never compromise our love for other people. We can't compromise conviction or love whatsoever. And I remember being in this group and seeing them and thinking to myself, this is something I could get on board with. And God just began to develop in me this passion to be able to tell people about the Jesus that I had discovered. So had you believed at that point? I was starting to believe at that point. So you wouldn't say at that point you were converted and a true follower of Jesus Christ? I remember the moment when I felt like I was converted. I woke up in the morning. I said, wow, I, I believe in Jesus. I, I really do. I, it just kind of all clicked. I don't know what it was. And so I called my friend Greg, and I asked him what I should do because I said, I, hey, man, I think I finally turned Christian. What, what should I do? He said, well, we'll go eat Chinese food, and then I'll baptize you because I think that's an Acts to. You know, it's scriptural. You go eat Chinese food, then you get baptized. I think that's what they did. And you put some pictures of sheep on the on your walls. Oh yeah, yeah. He gave me a framed sheep picture, and I have it up everywhere. I have one for each one of you gentlemen too after the show. Thank you. I, I want you to take me, if you can, if you remember it, to the the first conversation you had with your mom or with your dad, where you said, "I've started to change my thinking." My dad told me that I had spit in the eyes of God because he had me baptized Episcopalian slash Anglican when I was a kid, baby, right? right. Very young. And um, I was confirmed, and I really went to confirmation classes when I was very young, but I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that my dad told me if I would go, he would let me eat more dessert, and I would stay up later. So I did it, hmm. you know, and I guess I got confirmed. But I remember when I told him, he was so reactionary and angry, and I didn't understand why then. I know now because he was in the closet and he was hiding it. Now, when I told my mom, on the other hand, I mean, my mom, I love her to death, but drama, drama, drama. My mom, we were driving from Concordia, Missouri. That's where my parents would meet in Concordia, Missouri, at a McDonald's in between Columbia and Kansas City. And my dad dropped me off and looked at my mom and said, well, good luck, Mary Lou. You're going to love this. And so I got in, and I told my mom, and she started crying, just crying, crying, crying. And um, my mom, when we got home, went in, and I stayed in the car because I didn't want to go in yet and waited about 15 minutes. And she had told Vera by then, and as I said, Vera didn't get along with me. I didn't get along with her. She was a Ph.D. psychologist who had a very liberal view, not only on psychology but on everything, and I sat down, and I remember she asked me, so you're a Christian now, Caleb? And I said, yes. And she started quizzing me on the Bible and saying, well, you know, in the, in the book of Revelation, it says that a dragon is literally coming out of the sea. Do you believe in that? And, of course, I didn't know anything about hermeneutics or apocalyptic literature. So I just said, well, sure, if it's in the Bible, why not? Dragon come out. And my mom just got up and stormed out and said I had heard enough. 
And it was just very contentious, again, to the point where my mom said, hey, you're not going to come back for a while, basically kicked me out. My dad had told me the same thing at his house, and it was very difficult. So you called friends and said, can I crash at your house? Yes. You were 16? Yes. And I could have easily turned my back, but I just... I don't know, that same justice that my mom had embedded in her, I think it embedded in me, Hmm. but I think it aimed towards Jesus the right way to where I said, no way, no how am I giving this up? Plus, as I said before, I think it was God's sovereignty that brought me there. And I I don't know, I've tried. I can never outdo God's sovereignty. I've tried, but I can't. Not long after that, someone invited you to a Youth for Christ conference in Southern Missouri. What part of Missouri did you go to that Youth for Christ conference? Bolivar, Missouri. Yeah, Youth for Christ, also known as CIY, Christ and Youth, and it was a it was a great conference. But um, I had never been to a Christian conference. It it was so great being with other high schoolers that were my own age and getting to know them. And I remember again one morning, same thing as when I felt saved. I woke up, and uh, I just couldn't imagine myself doing anything else other than telling other people about this Jesus that I had learned about. I mean, I figured I had lived 16 years of my life away from Jesus. I want to spend the rest of my life telling other people about Jesus and saying that he's, again, he's not like the people on the street corners. It's not like the people ignoring their families. And I went forward a a week to the day that I was baptized, and I said I want to give my life to full-time Christian vocational ministry. A week after you're baptized? Yes, Okay, there are folks who are listening who are going, well, there's a pattern here. I mean, this guy grows up and he's got two moms. One of them doesn't like him and and doesn't like men in general, and his dad's in the closet. And he's just looking for a way out of the trauma that he's been in for 16 years. He's He's easy pickings for this kind of stuff. But it wasn't trauma for me. It wasn't trauma until I went to this Bible study and started learning. I didn't want people to it was know your, about it. It was my your mom. normal. It was my normal. Absolutely. I knew it was different enough where I didn't want to broadcast it in school, but in no way, shape, or form was I walking around saying, Woe is me. I'll be honest, my mom and her friends were fun. They were fun people to be around. They were funny. You know, there were some things that I saw that I shouldn't have seen, but. Back in my day, when I would go to somebody's house for a house party with my mom, I would take my Atari or Commodore 64 or Nintendo, original Nintendo, Duck Hunt, and I would go find a room. I still saw things that were inappropriate, but I did not have this, at that point, this scarred idea of my life. It wasn't until after I saw Jesus and how he set things up and how he originally created things to be until Adam and Eve rebelled, until sin entered the world, that I realized at that point, this was not right. This is not how God designed. This is not God's best. This is You, you cannot have a reflection of Christ's relationship with the church in any relationship other than a heterosexual relationship. I mean, just, just I realized so many things. And if there's ever, listen, if there's ever anybody that wanted to disprove, you know, what the Bible said about sexuality, it was me. I mean, even after I changed my view on sexuality, if somebody brought up a new idea, I would still look at it because my relationship with my parents was damaged. Why would I go from an environment where I had absolute peace with my parents to now an environment where there was chaos. Let me ask you about that, because in the last five years, there have been books published presenting a an evangelical view 
that maybe we've misunderstood all the texts that you were reading in high school. And they say it's possible to be gay and to believe the Bible and to love Jesus. You, you've seen those books. You've, you've read those books, right? No, absolutely. And, and here's what these, what these books do. They have no exegetical or historical ground to stand on. They have to do fancy exegetical footwork. They have to do fancy footwork with the background narrative and the, the backgrounds of the New Testament, especially with Romans 1 and so on and so forth. And they have to do an argument of silence where they say something like, hey, uh, Jesus never said anything about same-sex relationships, so that makes it okay. Well, there are a lot of things that Jesus didn't say anything about, so let me get my list ready. Mm. You can't make that argument. I remember, you know, after I came to Christ, having a conversation with a lady who was a, a dean at a liberal seminary in Kansas City, and my mom uh, sicked her on me at one of her GLAD events. I still went with my mom when I was a high schooler, when I was a Christian, because I wanted an opportunity to tell people about Jesus in different conversations, but she automatically started challenging me. And it really came down to the fact where she said, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality, so that makes it okay. And now we look at it, and you can even get very academic if you want and say, well, Jesus was sent to Israel. In Israel, under a pharisaical rule, they did not deal with homosexuality like Paul did when he sent to the Gentiles to the Roman Empire. That's a whole nother ball of wax. If you really want to get exegetical, let's look at Matthew 19, when Jesus has an opportunity to define marriage as anything other than a man and a woman, and does he? No. He affirms what God says in Genesis 2. So here you are, you're this on-fire 16-year-old who now has been baptized, you've been to uh, a conference and surrendered to God's call on your life to move into full-time Christian ministry. I can only imagine when you went back to Columbia. Yeah, how that news went. And back to where your your two moms lived in Kansas City. How did those conversations go down? Well, um, it went down just about like a lead balloon would. You ever rode in a lead balloon before? Just crashed. It crashed. It wouldn't get up off the air. I mean... I had committed the unpardonable sin, right? <laughs> Becoming a Christian's one thing, now saying, I'm, I want to be a pastor. I'm all in. Well, and throw on top of that, hey, I've changed my view of sexuality. Right. You know, I mean, now I'm one of them in their eyes. And the people that were supposed to show me tolerance, they were showing me anything but tolerance. How did you do loving your mom in that situation? It was difficult at first. But I got encouragement from my friends saying, Caleb, you need to love her no matter what. And I started reading the New Testament. Whenever I had free time, I was reading, 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 especially the words of Jesus, and then moving on to Romans, so on and so forth. And I really latched on to what Jesus said there and the mercy that he said. And even in the Beatitudes, when Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And so I cannot own how my mother treats me. I cannot own how somebody else reacts to me. What I can own is my own reactions, how I respond and what I do. That is what God holds me accountable to. I can own how I'm going to love people no matter what. Follow the example of Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. And he said, hey, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, if the Son of God, who is innocent, could say that after everything he was through, I'm pretty sure I could look at my mom and say, I forgive you. I'm choosing every day not to hold this against you. I think you're ministering to some parents who have uh, children who've come out and who have said, I think I'm gay. 
I think you're also ministering to some family members who may have been invited to a wedding of uh, a relative in their family where they're struggling with what what's our response to be. I think you're also ministering to folks, Caleb, who uh, work in places where they've got close associates whose lifestyles are different than theirs. And you're exhorting all of us, regardless, to go back to the book, back to the life of Christ and love others the way he loved us. I think your example helps there, too. And, and what you've shared with us of your own story and what you share in your book, Messy Grace, I, I think that gives us a blueprint a living illustration that we can follow and know how to engage with our friends or our family members. We've got copies of Caleb's book, Messy Grace, in our Family Life Today Resource Center. You can go online to request your copy, or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY to order a copy of the book, Messy Grace. Again, the website, familylifetoday.com, or call 1-800-358-6329. That's 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. I know we probably have some of you who are tuned in today because this is a a holiday week for a lot of folks, people taking time off, and maybe some of you who don't normally listen to Family Life today have been able to catch the program. Uh, we're glad that you've joined us. Family Life is a nonprofit organization. We exist to effectively develop godly marriages and families. We believe those godly marriages and families can change the world, one home at a time. And this daily radio program is just one aspect of all that we do here at Family Life. And all that we do here at Family Life is possible because friends like you make it possible. We are listener-supported, and your donations help cover not only the cost of producing and syndicating this program, but all of the outreaches of Family Life, all that we're involved with, couldn't happen without your support. If you're a regular listener and you've never made a donation, we'd love to have you join the team that supports this ministry. If you're a first-time listener or a new listener, we hope you'll continue to tune in. And you can download the Family Life app from your app store. Just type in Family Life as one word. That will give you immediate access to our program every day so you can listen to it on your time schedule. To donate, go to FamilyLifeToday.com. You can donate online or call 1-800-FL-TODAY to make a donation over the phone. You can always mail your donation to us as well. Our address is Family Life Today at Box 7111. Little Rock, Arkansas, and our zip code is 72223. By the way, let me just say, we believe that your first priority when it comes to giving needs to be your local church. So make sure that you're investing well there before you uh, do anything to help support this ministry. And we hope you can join us back tomorrow when uh, Caleb Kaltenbach will be here again. And we're going to talk about how we should interact with friends, co-workers, neighbors, people who we know who identify as LGBT. How do we let them know who we are and what we believe? And how do we build a relationship there? We'll talk about that tomorrow. Hope you can tune in. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a crew ministry. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.